Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Blazing hot takes for all 90 Minnesota Vikings after I watched a walkthrough pace OTA yesterday. That's coming up on today's football party. Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota football party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings Insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Welcome in on a Wednesday. It's the mailbag edition on the Minnesota Football Party. It's our usual Wednesday crew. I'm Sam Ekstrom. I cover the Vikings here at Locked On Sports Minnesota. That's Reggie Wilson in the middle. If you're watching on YouTube, he's on Twitter at Reggie Wilson TV. And the TV represents Carol Levin because he's the sports anchor and sports director at Carol Levin. Luke Ginman on the right at Luke underscore Spinman, the author of the NFL Draft Buzz newsletter, which you can still subscribe to for off-season draft content and NFL content. Just go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash newsletters. And speaking of subscribe, you can subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota for free on YouTube to get all of our videos. We're also free and available wherever you find your podcasts. Amazon Fire, Roku, we're, that, or, uh, we're available there as well. And now the uh, Sirius XM app, so check that out too. Uh, guys, plenty to get to today after I took in a scintillating, just enamoring Vikings practice yesterday. I do have some takes. I do have some takes from watching guys stretch and do a little bit of real football. We had just a taste of 7-on-7 seven seven and 11-on-11 11 11 that we can dive into today. Also, some questions about the contracts of Daniil Hunter, Dalvin Cook, and Justin Jefferson. Uh, and TJ Hawkinson as well. And then uh, could the Vikings pick first next year? How realistic would that be? We'll, we'll hit Luke Inman with that hot question. But uh, guys, I've, I've kind of got a few OTA takes. Luke, Reggie, do you have any specific questions? Because I could, I could fabricate a hot take on anyone who was actually there yesterday because my I, I was looking from practice field to practice field. I was taking roll call. I was checking in on the rookies. I was getting opinions formulated. So what do you want to know? Hit me. Well, ask me anything. Here's the hot topic, Sam. You got to mm-hmm. talk to me about Jaron Hall. What did the eye test look like? Jordan Addison, was he moving around at all? And then maybe you can start with the defense, right? I mean, Lewis Seam, Brian Asamoa. I heard Josh Metellus' name get thrown out quite a bit yesterday. Maybe you can start here, actually. What phase are we actually in in these OTAs? Is this phase two? So is it 11 on 11s? Is it still passing drills? What was kind of the vibe? like out there yesterday at practice all right so 90 minutes of practice i would say 65 of those minutes were individual drills Mm. position group drills didn't get interesting until seven on sevens and then elevens um now i'm gonna get exposed here quickly because there were two practice fields in which drills were going on there were the ones 
and key backups on one field, and then the the two like bottom of the barrel twos and threes on another field. And you kind of had to pick which one you were going to watch. Um, so I chose to watch the ones, and that meant I didn't see as much of Jaron Hall. Um, I was watching Kirk and occasionally Mullins get reps on the ones. Uh, Jaron Hall, from from what I did glimpse, it looked pretty basic on that field. Hard to get too excited when he's playing with mostly the threes over there. Um, today or next week, when I get the next glimpse of 11 on 11s, I think I will switch and go watch more of Jaron Hall. Um, he does look a little small out there. KOC was out there before practice working on him with his on his mechanics. I know they're really excited about this guy. They they love really everything about him except his arm strength. Like I think that probably leaves a little something to be desired, but his accuracy, his ability to move outside the pocket and make plays, his ability to move within the pocket and make plays. Um, I didn't see anything like jaw dropping from him on the field yesterday, but I also didn't see every rep. So, so that which is totally fair, right? What are we yeah. talking? Day two, day three of practice here, end of May, right now, going into the thick of the summer. That all makes sense, right? We don't need him to be Russell Wilson at this point. But if you could put a percentage on it, how much time do you think KOC spent watching Jaron Hall as opposed to the ones? Because remember, I mean, this is his baby, guys. This is his new little side project. He's known as an offensive wizard who can come in and develop a young quarterback. So I just think this connection and relationship is definitely going to be one of the more intriguing storylines behind the curtains of the Vikings 2023 season. And I'm just curious to see how this relationship grows between KOC and Jaron Hall. So did he put a little bit of extra time into watching from what you saw Jaron Hall with the twos, as opposed to why wouldn't you be spending your time over here with the ones and Kirk Cousins? I think he was with the ones okay. most of the time. It looked like he was attached at the hip to Kirk. I think that for now is still the most important relationship um, on the team. I think I'm, I'm guessing that it was Wes Phillips handling the other field or maybe the quarterback's coach with, uh, with the play calling, probably Wes Phillips over there handling the play calling. And then KOC was with the ones. Um, here, here's what I did see from the ones in the active session. Do you want to know who the winner was of OTA number one? Can I guess? Yes. W was it the defensive front seven, let's say? The the new exotic schemes and sub packages that even though, despite it being so early, I think Brian Flores has started to sprinkle in already a little bit? Yeah. A little bit. That's not what I was going to say, mm -hmm. but that definitely got a lot of buzz afterward with the offensive players saying, wow, this is crazy what we're facing. And Marcus Davenport was like, yeah, we probably got a little too physical. And it's funny you say that, Luke, because I actually did want to share a quote. And this is a little controversial, actually, from Christian Derrissaw. Let's get into that now. And then and then Reggie will get you your reaction to this. This is Christian Derrissaw talking about the defensive complexity and aggressiveness that he faced yesterday. Uh, really, it just helps us, I feel like, um, because those looks, we, we weren't seeing those last year, and we're kind of getting like to, to games, and teams are running a certain defense, and they were kind of like, we were kind of be like negatively affected, and now we're getting to practice against it every day, and like, it's just not one certain, like, 4-3, three, 3-4, three, like, he brings it all, and it, it's definitely going to help us. 
Did he just throw Ed Donatel under the bus, Reggie, like in a major fashion to say that they weren't prepared for games last year because they didn't face anything complex? Did I hear that right? Did did they win 13 games last last year? I, th- <laughs> I, th- I, th- I, th- I think so. I think I think they're fine. I I think they're okay. Um, look, these are things that we knew about Donatel. It's so interesting. He kind of came from that Vic Fangio, you know, defensive mindset. But it seems that Vic is a lot more aggressive and exotic with like his blitz packaging and and things like that. And Ed Donatel was really just kind of. I don't know that he had the guys on defense to run the stuff that he wanted to run. Uh, People were out of position at times. Guys were running wide open. And it just – it didn't work out. He was hoping that the pass rush led by Z and Daniil were just going to get home more often and the pressures were just going to make things a little bit more difficult than they were. And now Flores is like, look, man, you got to scheme up some stuff. Let, let's let's get this stuff going and and confuse these quarterbacks and all this stuff. And it's funny though because look, as good as the offense was last year, them being challenged a little bit more in practice with some stuff that they are not used to or not ready for is only going to make them better. Only going to make them stronger when they go into games because, as Christian said, there are going to be times where people are going to throw stuff at them that is maybe a, a little bit different than than what they're used to. But if they have that experience and practice already, it's not going to be something that's going to catch them too off guard or too by surprise. And like I said, they had a lot of success with that offense last year. So getting them challenged and growing in another year of Kevin O'Connell's offense, I think is only going to be better for this team moving forward. And now you got a guy like Jordan Addison that you added to the mix and you got another year of cohesion along that offensive line. You you hope to see Ed Ingram take another step forward. And so, look, he's not really saying anything that we didn't really kind of know or, or was able to infer before. So it's not really too controversial, but it is interesting. You know, him saying the f- very first day of OTAs that is open to the media. <laughs> That's what he's saying about <laughs> last year's defense. Yeah. Yeah. To Reggie's point, too. Like, it, it's what are we like two practices in, like pump the brakes. But having said that, you can already start to see the glimpses of the Vikings future defense now after just a few days. And it sounds like, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, but just reading everybody's news and notes, like sounds like it looks fast, it looks aggressive, and kind of in a way, it's what we thought we were going to get under Ed Donatel last year. And remember, guys, last year was we were told to be patient week after week after week. Ah, this is what it looks like. It takes Daniil Hunter six, seven, eight weeks you know, to adjust hand in the dirt to standing up. It takes time, but it never really happened. And remember, too, last year, KOC's head had to be just spinning, right? I mean, rookie head coach, offensive mastermind. He just wanted somebody to come in and kind of run the show on defense that, you know, he could trust and just let take over. And he kindly blindly rolled with Donatel. And obviously it didn't pan out 
on that side of the ball. But now you got a real defensive mastermind and Brian Flores isn't afraid to bring the house, isn't afraid to bring the heat all game long. You're already starting to see a little bit of that aggressiveness. I just love to see the extra work for guys like, you know, Lewis Seen, it sounds like, Cam Bynum maybe at corner, Brian Osamoa and Josh Metellus were flying around, it sounds like. But as far as the offensive line go, and trying to create that confusion for the offensive line is so pivotal for the defensive front success and getting home on those third and long. So this is great for the offensive line, too. As you heard Darisaw say, this is the practice I think they did need last year. And who was it? Mike Zimmer, I think, was the one who always said, iron sharpens iron. So when this defense gets a little bit better and a little bit more nuanced and starts to bring in you know, a few more wrinkles, it's only going to help the offensive side of the ball as well, which is a huge plus for KOC. Yeah, um, and I love dunking on Donatel too, and everybody in the comments section's dunking on Donatel. I thought it was, I think there's some validity to it. I thought it was a teeny bit of a self-dunk because don't you face scout teams? Don't you watch film? Are right. there coaches teaching you how to like face this stuff? Didn't you face this stuff when you were facing Zimmer's defense two years ago? So I'm not, I'm not overhyping it. I did think it was interesting, though, that he would just be willing to go to those lengths and just put that out there. Um I, there were some fun looks, the kind of Zimmerian looks, where he would flood the line of scrimmage, threaten blitz with seven guys, and then drop two of them in coverage and bring the rest. There was a three-safety look with Seen, Metellus, and Bynum, and Metellus was kind of the box guy. Seen looked really good, looked healthy, looked fast. He's full go. Nothing holding back Lewis wow. Seen right now. Um Buried the lead here. Do you want to know who my star was? Yes. Um, from day one, Jalen Naylor. Jalen Naylor was your wide receiver, too, with Addison out for undisclosed reason and Jefferson not there because he wants to sign a big contract first. Um, Jalen Naylor was clearly in front of Jalen Rager in the pecking order pretty much the whole time. And he made some plays. Like if you're counting receptions, of the, I don't know, 30 plays they ran, I bet he had five or six receptions, including a juggling, like kind of wild acrobatic catch against Andrew Booth um, to kind of end things. So you're saying we didn't need Jordan Addison in the first round. We could have waited on wide out. Yeah. Jalen Naylor is, is, is he's, he's full. Addison's he's already an roll. injury risk. He's, yeah, he's, he's already, <laughs> he's already fragile. <laughs> uh, no, but no, uh, Naylor was really good. And then, there were notable absences, and I think like let's let's get into this after. Uh, let's take a quick quick pause. Get into this after I remind people that uh, we're brought to you by Built Bar today. Built Bar is a delicious snack. You don't want all the sugar and calories. You want the best tasting protein bar ever. So you got to try Built. If you're like me, you want to make healthy snack choices. You don't want to compromise on taste, though. You want it to still taste good. I've got just the thing. It's Built Bars. It's Built Puffs. So many different flavors and really good macros. 17 grams of protein, only 4 grams of sugar, only 130 calories. I don't know how they pull it off, but they do every time. The flavors, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream, uh, brownie batter puff, churro puff. You can pick those up at Walmart or Sam's Club in the pharmacy section or go to Built.com and order your favorite specialty flavors online. You can get the 4-bar box, the 13-bar box. And stock up on Built Bars this summer. Built, you can thank me later. Um, we got some absences from Vikings practice. Some of them injury-related. Some of them undisclosed. Probably just vet days. 
and some of them probably contract related. We didn't see Dalvin Cook. We knew that. He's probably not going to be here long. We didn't see Daniil Hunter. We didn't see Justin Jefferson. Um, we didn't see... Sorry, who am I forgetting? Oh, yeah, okay. So those guys, not there, I think, for contractual reasons. TJ Hawkinson was like one of the only veterans who kind of had something big at stake contract-wise who actually was on the field and participating. And he said he wants to be in Minnesota for a long time. But guys, we got a question from Dustin. Do you think the Vikings are always working on contract deals with players such as Hunter and JJ and Hawkinson during contract years? Or do you think they just sit down one day and say, okay, let's work on this deal now? I feel like they have multiple deals ready to go beforehand. So Reggie, timeline on this thing. When do you think they work on a JJ deal, uh, a Hawkinson deal, or a Hunter deal? Do you think it's the same kind of time window? Is it fluid? What does your gut tell you on that? Yeah, it's it's interesting, uh, Dustin. I'm I'm trying to understand uh, where he is, like feeling this in his gut. You know, like I'm, I'm trying to understand where that where that sense is coming from. Um, I think it's I think it's I I honestly don't know. <laughs> you know, like I honestly don't know what's going on. It, it's been it's been interesting because we've talked on this show about okay, now that there is cap space, are they going to go out and sign some some people to help complement the defense or, you know, sign someone else to to help you know in the the cornerback room or sign someone on the defensive front? or something like that, but they haven't not saying that they won't, but they haven't yet. And now OTAs have started and things are going and they got these notable absences and it's like, well, what do you think? You know, Daniil had the one year now where he was healthy for most of the year coming back from, you know, back-to-back seasons ending an injury and now he's healthy and ready to go. And now he's like, okay, I want to get paid. I'm good now. Let's 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 pay up because I'm healthy now. Let's you know back up that Brinks truck, and you know you could say like, hey, he deserves that based on the season that he had, based on the fact that he is healthy now. And Justin Jefferson, look, just pay him whatever, whatever he asked for. If he asked for, you know, one of the Wilfs houses, just give it to him. Just give it to him. Move out. You can build another one. Let Justin Jefferson have that one, and it's all good, okay? Just do what he wants. And TJ Hawkinson, they 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 pretty much put up a, a, a good investment piece to bring him in. So to not sign him would kind of be nonsensical. So it's just interesting. I don't know where the timing is on any of these deals, but with the money that they have, you know, I didn't really think too much about Justin Jefferson not being there. Uh, yesterday or this week for OTAs, you know, I think maybe he's just doing his own thing. I don't necessarily consider it him holding out for a new contract, but maybe he is. I I just, it's just hard to tell with some of these things. So to answer Dustin's question, like, I don't really know what their philosophy is just because we really haven't seen this regime long enough to know what they will do or what, you know, 
their their tendencies are as far as like re-signing their own guys to yeah. to longer term extensions. So I think it's just a wait and see type of thing. Luke? No, Reggie brought up a lot of great points. I think, you know, to relate it to the draft, right? It's not like these scouts show up in April and start scouting. These guys are scouting all year long. Well, Rob Brzezinski is the scouting staff of their salary cap, right? He's the executive VP of football ops. He's working on this salary cap night and day all year long. And I promise you, he's got plan A, plan B, and plan C in place. And I don't know exactly, you know, where they're at in the process with the contracts of those guys, obviously, to Reggie's point. But I promise you, they do have multiple plans in place for whatever happens. And obviously, they hope they can get deals done sooner than later. I would assume with JJ and Hawkinson. But I'd be curious kind of where you guys are at on that as well. Mm -hmm. Sam, it sounds like maybe you have Hunter number one over those other two. Obviously, in a perfect world, you would like to sign Hawk and, and JJ sooner than later, but it's not a necessity this year, right? It's okay if you go into next year and try to re-sign them or extend them at that point as well. Yeah, here, here's how I view this. And I don't have great definite answers either, but I think that the Hawkinson and Jefferson deals, everybody's kind of on the same page. There's mutual interest in locking these guys up long-term. They're at ages where there's not a lot of risk involved in giving them long-term deals. The complexity of a Jefferson deal because of the, the size, the dollar amount, and the length, it might get a little tricky just from a bookkeeping standpoint because you got to be creative with it, right? You don't want to tie yourself up in cap space. You do have to haggle a little bit about guarantees, Probably a little bit of back and forth there. But but in general, I think his representation, the team, everybody's in agreement of his value. Um, and I think the same with Hawkinson. Hunter, there's going to be disagreement about his value. That's why this is going to be more of a contentious contract negotiation. And I think it could turn into a holdout. For instance, I don't think Justin Jefferson's going to miss minicamp, which is mandatory. TJ Hawkinson's already here. I think everything's good there. I would suspect we don't see Daniil Hunter on the field until he has a contract in hand. I think he's just fed up with it. I think that it's it's three summers in the making now, and I think that's going to be a tough one. I do, however, think it is kind of a, a priority. Now, unless they can go sign a Leonard Floyd kind of late in free agency here, Luke, you've been pounding the table for Leonard Floyd. They need Daniil. They have to have Daniil on this football team this year. So there is an element of urgency to it. And without Zedarius Smith, their hands are tied. And I think Daniil actually has a lot of leverage in this case. So I think that Daniil would be wise to hold out for a new contract. I just think it's going to be a difficult negotiation. Um, and maybe Daniil says, hey, just give me what I'm worth this year. Give me a healthy one-year sum and then I'll I'll be I'll wash my hands of this and hit free agency and we don't have to deal with it. Maybe that's the approach they end up taking um, if they can't get something long term. But do you guys agree that that is kind of an urgent need to keep Daniil on this team this year? 
Yeah, if, if he's in the camp that, hey, I'm holding out until we got a new deal in fresh ink, signed and ready to go, otherwise you will not see me step out on that practice field, then yeah, that immediately becomes priority number one. You need that guy. You're totally right. We, I think we talked about it on the football party yesterday, Sam. I'm surprised that they're even confident enough to go into the season with just Daniil Hunter and Marcus Davenpoint. That's why I threw out the name Leonard Floyd. And there's some other big defensive end names out there as well. Frank Clark, you throughout there, Yannick Ngakwe, J.B. on Clowney. There's tons of them, but they need Daniil Hunter in a big way for sure. If he's in the camp that, you know what, I'm not showing up to practice until I have a new deal done in place, then yeah, that becomes priority number one. Reg, um, what do you think about this new this new fair catch rule they got approved yesterday? Kenny Wanglu spoke about it. Um, you know, he basically said, oh, hey, I want to take everything out. But it's, again, it's not really his call. It is kind of a coaching decision on, on how aggressive you're going to be. And I, I also kind of think this is going to de-incentivize kickers from leaving it short of the end zone. Because I think now, I think you just say, well, why even tempt them to run it out? Um, if it's going to be, if they're just going to call for a fair catch, we may as well just kick it in the end zone and take all, you know, mystery out of it. I, I think that, th- I think this is going to kill the kickoff. And, and I think that it hurts a guy like Kenny Wangwu. What do you think? I think it's trending that way. And, you know, I listened to Commissioner Goodell yesterday at the NFL owners meetings uh, here in Minneapolis. And it was interesting. He was talking about, look, man, we're, we're continuing to reevaluate as the data comes in. But the data has shown that if the kickoffs are reduced, that concussion rate, goes down 15%. And that's something that can't be understated in a game that is already so violent, in a game that they're already trying to make safer. But just by virtue of the nature of the sport, it's just hard to do that. I think them finding ways and coming up with ways to try to help keep players on the field you look at what we saw with Lewis Cena, it wasn't, it wasn't a concussion. It's incredible that he's out there playing right now and, and, and full go after what we saw him break his leg on that on, uh, on kickoff coverage. And I, I think it's a violent thing, man. You know, people kind of compare some of the collisions in football to like car crashes. Well, think of how many happen on a kickoff play. You got guys ramming into each other just all over the field. And it's exciting when they ram into each other one way. You know, I was looking at uh, Kane's kickoff return against the Patriots on Thanksgiving last year. Yep. And I'm like, man, you know, when, when things work, it looks beautiful out there. And I think a kick return is one of the most exciting plays in football, a kick return, a punt return, those plays on special teams. And this rule has special teams coordinators all around the league in an uproar. And I think there was not one special teams coordinator who opposed this. And I think for your thoughts, Sam, of why Kane, why a guy like Matt Daniels wouldn't like this, their jobs, their jobs. Think of how many people you 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 talk about. Like, oh yeah, you know, we talked about Ivan Pace on this on this show several times. 
They're like, oh, okay, yeah, even if he doesn't make an immediate impact on defense right away, you know, he's a guy that can contribute on special teams. Well, if there's no kickoff moving forward, there's no job for Ivan Pace. If there's no kickoff moving forward, you know, it, it kind of renders the job that Matt Daniels is doing not useless because there are other ways to to talk about special teams, but it really kind of affects the job that he's doing. And he wants to be a head coach one day. And, you know, getting on as special teams coordinator was his end. You know, you, we've seen guys be special teams coordinators and and get elevated to head coach. I'm thinking of John Harbaugh, been the Ravens coach for more than a decade now, won a Super Bowl with them. And we we look at special teams as a way to make a football team and a way for coaches to kind of show their mettle in this league. And if you eliminate the kickoffs, which I see both sides of this, that's the tough part about it. And this is going to be a trial basis. They're going to reevaluate this rule next year and see what the path should be moving forward. But you think about what this does on an impact and you just automatically think job security. What a huge disadvantage. What a huge blow to the teams that do feel like they have an edge in a threat at that kickoff position. A weapon like a Ken A, right? I mean, Naheem Hines had two kickoff return touchdowns for the Colts. Devin Duvernay for the Ravens. Um, the guy inside the division for the Packers, the young kid, Nixon. Kashawn Nixon, I think it was. He's looking dangerous as heck. So that's a huge blow to those teams that felt like they had an edge there. You mentioned, Reg, you see both sides of the coin. So what's the happy medium? Is it the XFL? Because this is a rule that the NCAA, right, changed in 2018. So they're kind of copying and pasting that rule. Is it the XFL who does the low-impact kickoff? And that had huge success. You don't have the, the car crashes, so to speak, but it still gives you much more of an opportunity to return those kicks. I heard that was wildly successful in lowering injuries in the XFL as well. And it sounds like not only the players, but the coaches loved it as well. I don't know if either of you two know anything about that XFL low-impact kickoff, but yeah. it sounds like maybe that would be the nice happy medium after they give this a go for a year or two, and then they should maybe spread their wings out a little bit further and try something like what the XFL is doing. Luke, Luke Braun and I talked about that on Monday, too, and Luke has a great understanding of it because he watches an, an asinine amount of XFL football. Of course he but does. The, yeah, the, the, the guys on the offensive side or the kicking side, they stand further downfield, so there's mm -hmm. less run-up, uh, and then you can't move until the ball is caught. And apparently injury rate way down, had a lot of kick return attempts, which is kind of what you're aiming for is to keep that play lively. And, uh, and zero injuries vital. in 2020, the first year they implemented it, and a 90 plus percent return rate. So, I mean, those two things alone mm -hmm. tells you that, all right, there's some proof in the pudding here that this works, and you still get to keep what Reggie called it one of the most exciting plays in the game. I mean, people love a great kickoff return to the house. So maybe a year or two, they give this a go. And then, you know, if it's not really panning out too much and we lose so many explosive plays that makes the game so great when you sit down and watch it, I hope they think about this low-impact kickoff that the XFL is using. Yeah, same. Because you're affecting two units. You're affecting kickoff coverage and mm -hmm. kick return. And mm -hmm. how many times have we said, like, man, look at C.J. Ham's block. Right on that kick return, or look at Chris Boyd's tackle on that on that kickoff return. Those are the guys who suffer. 
Um, and those coordinators, they live for the minutia. Like I've been around Mike Prefer, Marwin Maloof for like two seconds, and then Matt Daniels. And they all kind of have like a desire to get that extra edge, those extra four yards. Yes, we got them down at the 21. Good job, guys. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get pumped up. Like that's the stuff that excites them and gets them up to go to work, you know, to figure out ways to just get that that infinitesimal little edge on special teams. Um, and and you'd hate to see that fully taken away. So, and that's Wang Wu's, you know, biggest ticket to a roster spot, too. I, I'm mm-hmm. sure that he is sweating just a little bit today, worrying that his job has now lost a lot of its importance. So I still I, feel like if he's that explosive and that dangerous on kickoffs, right? Like Cordero Patterson yeah, was or Devin yeah. Hester, whoever it may be on a smaller scale, there's got to be a way to implement this man inside the offense somehow. You were banging the table last summer, Sam. Mm-hmm. Get this guy involved a little bit more. They didn't do it. Not only didn't they do it, they add another running back to the mix now in Dwayne McBride as well. Plus, we still haven't seen any Ty Chandler. So, yeah, I'm just very curious how this running back rotation is going to end up unfolding, mm-hmm. I think. Not just at the beginning of the season when I think we all expect a heavy dose of Alexander Madison, but as the season rolls on a little bit. Because Ken A clearly has got the goods. You just got to find a way to get him the ball. Dwayne McBride, by the way, was on the rehab field yesterday, so we didn't mm. get to see him. Uh, Blake Prohl was rehabbing. Brian O'Neill was rehabbing. Who else was rehabbing? Uh, Jordan Addison, I mentioned that. Yeah, he did not disclose why he wasn't participating. Now, Luke, he did have a tweak at his combine, correct? Correct. Lower back, yep. Okay, so that that could be a thing. Andrew Booth, uh, for the record, was active. We did see Andrew Booth. I wasn't what? sure if he would. Andrew Booth was out there. Wait, what? Are you yeah. sure it was Andrew Booth? He was healthy and on the field? It was It was Andrew wow. Booth in the flesh. Don't do this, Luke. Woo. Don't do this. Wearing 23. Um, he got uh, got coached up by Durante Jones for uh, for playing too far off a guy. And then he, uh, he played like really jammed Naylor on the next play, tracked him across the field, got his head turned on a target and didn't see the ball. And Naylor just like caught it in his back pocket and uh was a, was a Okay, so so if Jalen Naylor was the the you know star of the show, right? He stole the mm-hmm. show, would it be fair to say that just Lewis seen being out on the field with the ones and looking springy and explosive would maybe be, you know, one B. I, I mean, it yeah. sounds like nobody expected him, at least not when that injury took place. And we found out what the grueling process was going to look like to rehab. Nobody thought by the end of May, he would be out working with the ones on the field. So that really surprised me. And, and that is really great news for this defense as well. I, yeah, I think he might be your dime guy. Like, I think that Flores has shown a willingness to, to run some dime. And assuming he's healthy, I think that he's next in line behind Bynum and Harrison Smith. Now, probably. I heard there was a a little bit of a big nickel look that they used with Josh Metellus and Lewis Seen. And I think we can assume that when Josh Metellus is out with the ones, that will probably be Harrison Smith during the regular season. But in that big nickel with those two safeties, they had Cam Bynum on the inside at nickel cornerback. I'm not sure if you can confirm or deny, but again, just goes to show another interesting look and Brian Flores using the versatility. Remember, Cam Bynum was a great cornerback coming out of college. Zimmer just didn't really see him that way. Used him at safety, which is fine too. He's flashed there as well. But Mm -hmm. um, getting his versatility and his money's worth out of some of these players that we haven't seen before. 
Yeah, and I that that report you saw might be referring to the same play that that I was tweeting about, where they had the three safeties on the field and two of them were like at the line of scrimmage. Got it. Okay. Um, and I, I maybe there was like kind of a, a setup there where Bynum was was the nickel guy, and that might be might have been the same play. Um, I just know they had their safeties moving down in the box, kind of threatening blitz, and then maybe it was Bynum who like picked up the the slot receiver downfield um that could very well have been the same play so some creative looks uh that's kind of encouraging we'll hear more from brian flores today we'll have that press conference posted at uh lockdown sports minnesota youtube uh also we're partners now with sirius xm you can find our programming on the sirius xm app as well as all the hometown broadcasts the twins today face the giants at noon trying to avoid the sweep you can hear that uh, hometown broadcast every pitch on the SXM app. Just search Twins and also find our shows from Locked On Sports Minnesota. Uh, final question, guys, from Wyatt. Draft-related, Luke. What's the cost to go from early to late 20s to number one overall next season for Caleb Williams? Thinking it could be four firsts and change, the entirety of the NFL will be in a bidding war for number one overall should drive the price. Also, is Quinn Ewers worth three ones for number two? So the the quick caveat, Luke, and I, I believe this is this is accurate. You can't trade more than three first round picks. I think you're capped out at three um, by rule. So so it'd have to be three and change. Now, do you think whoever lands the number one pick? I mean, they're they're picking Williams, right? Like anyone who's getting the number one pick is going to need that quarterback to change their franchise. This isn't, I mean, I, I guess, hey, Chicago. Chicago traded the number one overall pick, so it, it does happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if Caleb Williams is all he's cracked up to be, you're probably hanging on to that pick. What do you think? And again, anything can happen. It's going to be a long time till next, uh, you know, end of April before the 2024 draft. A lot can happen, but early signs point to Caleb Williams being on that Patrick Mahomes type of prospect coming out. He's just that good. And I think that, you know, whoever ends up picking number one, if they don't need a quarterback, they are going to be able to get a King's ransom. And they would still have to think long and hard about taking a guy like Caleb Williams because he's once every five, six, seven years kind of guy. Uh, He's going to cost a lot. It doesn't sound like a huge difference, but the difference between picking at 20 and moving up to number one versus picking at 32 and moving up to number one is going to cost you a whole heck of a lot more too. But even in the early 20s, yeah, you're right, Sam. Three first. We heard the rumors about the Vikings maybe being interested in Bryce Young. Obviously, once they found out that he was going to go number one, just too much. I mean, you're mortgaging so much of your future. And in a young new regime with Kwesi and KOC, I just don't think they were at the point where as much as they love Bryce Young, that they were ready to mortgage and invest so much of the future, gamble so much of you know their next two, three years worth of early first and second round picks on one guy. Because anything can happen. You know, an injury can happen. Yeah. But I think Caleb Williams will be the number one pick next year. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State, he'll be the number two pick. And then there's other quarterbacks in the discussion, too, that could definitely be in that top five, top ten selection. Drake May, North Carolina. Quinn Ewers from Texas. Kind of a younger that, guy, a little who, bit more. Yeah, that's who the... the um. That's who Wyatt asked about, Quinn Ewers. Oh, um, okay. As the number two pick, and and correct me if I'm wrong, 
his his season at Texas was not like overwhelmingly good. Didn't light right? the was, world on fire, no. no. But he he's very young and inexperienced still in a lot of different areas. But the arm strength, man, like top shelf arm talent, makes the wild plays look kind of routine. And I think if the mental development ever catches up to the physical skills, uh, that guy's got top ten pick written all over him. But yeah, a lot of pressure riding on his season this year, like a yeah. lot of these prospects. Re- Reggie, do you have your big board? All set for 2024 <laughs> draft. Can I? Can you read that off like your top 30 for no, us? No, he's working on a mock right now. He's working on a mock with trades right now. I hate you guys. Why are we talking <laughs> I know. about the draft? I hate it. I Reggie, I hate the people it so have spoken. Much. The people want to know. We got how many questions, Sam? One, maybe two? Or well, all I mean, Wyatt asked the, like the three Quinn, questions in one. He's, the, he's itching to get info. The Quinn Ewers thing is really interesting from Wyatt. He must just really like the guy because... I think he's a big Longhorn fanatic. Okay, because, uh, yeah. I know Wyatt going back. He's a good dude. Yeah, because Quinn got that injury last year, and, and that was mm-hmm. like, what, three, four games? He didn't even play, and then when yeah. he got back, and, you know, there's still a lot to to look at with him. You know, I was always thinking that if it wasn't Caleb Williams, it was Drake May. And now, you know, you're talking Quinn Ewers and they just got Arch Manning as well, which he could be vying for playing time. He's clearly the future there. So I don't know. I don't know Mm -hmm. what to think about Quinn Ewers just yet, especially not enough to call him a number two pick. But he could light it up because Joe Burrow's first year at LSU was nothing to really sneeze at. And then that second year in that system, he went out and just lit it on fire. And now that's right. Joe Burrow to be Joe Burrow. So, you know, not not writing off Quinn. Well, he can he could have a year this year with Sark that, you know, shows why he should be number two. Yeah, I think you got Caleb Williams kind of in a tier of his own. Drake May, though, in that second tier by himself. And then guys like Quinn Ewers, Michael Penix Jr., quarterback from Washington, kind of similar to what you just mentioned with Joe Burrow, Reggie, that, you know, he didn't really light anything on fire. All of a sudden, last year, though, he transfers from Indiana to Washington, puts up 35 touchdowns and kind of perk up in your seat a little bit and say, can this guy do that again? Can he replicate that again? Maybe Health. all he needed is just a new scene. Health. And uh, obviously to stay healthy as well. Yeah. Health. So many devastating injuries at Indiana. So, yes. yeah, I was very glad to see Penix ball out last year. I think that was indicative of what people thought he could be at Indiana. But, you know, devastating injury after devastating injury. And it's interesting because I wasn't sure that he was going to come back to school. You know, I thought like, hey, he had that big year. Hey, you might as well just go ahead. You know, you never know. Right. You never know. And he's going back. So hopefully he can have another healthy year. And I think he could be in the conversation just as much as anybody. How about a lefty QB coming out early in the draft? How about that? Yeah. How about that? A little Michael Vick throwback. I love that. I saw a tweet yesterday that the Gophers were 100 days away from kicking off their season. So today that would make it 99 days away from college football starting up. And we can actually get some more, some more Intel on these prospects so that we can, uh, so Reggie, we can talk about the draft all season long. Can't wait. Uh, it's the mailbag show on the Minnesota football party. He's Reggie Wilson, care 11 sports director and anchor Luke Inman draft guru locked on sports, Minnesota at Luke underscore Spinman. I'm Sam Ekstrom. I'll be out at OTAs throughout the next few weeks, so we'll have plenty of OTAs to discuss. Also, press conference clips and videos 
at our Lockdown Sports Minnesota YouTube channel. We'll get a little Brian Flores audio and video out there today as well. Thanks so much for watching. Back tomorrow with Arif Hassan and Luke Braun for more OTAs talk on the Minnesota Football Party. So long. Be blessed. Spread love. Luke, get those mock drafts together.